It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Hey, hey, hey. This is Speedway saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the Speedway Show. I am here to talk today about a topic that... um, may strike you as kind of strange, and the topic is stop hugging your misery. Too many of us have chronic problems like, I am overweight, I can't sleep, I hate my job, my kids are horrible, and on and on and on. So why is it that even in the face of clear solutions, We continue to hold on to our misery as if it somehow defines us and is our very lifeline. I was inspired to do this show by a number of conversations that I have had with friends and people I know. I was also struck by a paragraph from the book The Shack by William P. Young. And that particular paragraph, this was, this was, uh, the 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 hero of the book, talking to God, and God had this to say. People are tenacious when it comes to the treasure of their imaginary independence. They hoard and hold their sickness with a firm grip. They find their identity and worth in their brokenness and guard it with every ounce of strength they have. No wonder grace has such little attraction. I thought that was interesting. Very interesting perspective. Now, for all of you who haven't read it, The Shack is a work of fiction. So I'm not saying God actually said this at some point. Um, It's a work of fiction. But I thought it was an interesting view because it's actually, you know, the best fiction is based in some part on reality, right? There is some element of truth to this statement. In this age of information overload, is there anyone who really still doesn't know the basics of losing weight? And yet, if you look around, you will find that there are still people who complain incessantly about the fact that they are overweight. If you are unhappy with your weight, then why don't you do something about it? It's not as if you don't know how to. And if you don't know how, it's not as if you don't have access to information about how to, right? Many of us have access to the Internet. Many of us have access to common sense friends and family members who can talk to us about how to eat better. Many of us have, you know, uh, skinny friends, skinny acquaintances, skinny coworkers, people who have different eating habits than we do. So if you do nothing else, just follow your skinny friends around and don't eat what they don't eat and eat what they eat, and um, at some point you might end up looking like they do. That is just one example. The same goes for other problems like sleeplessness. I read a wonderful book called I Can Make You Sleep, such an obvious and audacious title. I have recommended this book to everyone that I have talked to who has claimed to have problems sleeping. But I do notice I am amazed at how many of them continue in their old habits and continue to complain about not being able to sleep. 
Based on the behavior of some of my friends, it is clear that they never bothered to even get the book and certainly never bothered to read it. And that's actually why I don't buy books. I used to buy books and give them to people. But then what I realized was actually if you are not motivated to fix your own problem, if you're not prepared to go out and spend $10 on a book that can help you solve your own problem, then especially one that is recommended to you by someone else as opposed to, you know, some sales pitch on the Internet or on TV, then clearly you're not motivated enough to solve the problem that you have. And for those of my friends who actually did read the book, they clearly chose not to implement some or some of the critical recommendations that would have helped. If you're wondering about this book and if you happen to be thinking, well, you know, I have trouble sleeping, you can actually find it on the speedwayshow.com or speedway.com, and it is uh, one of the links in the episodes on sleep deprivation. One episode, I think, was called something like, Why Can't I Sleep? And I think the second show was called, I Still Can't Sleep. Go to either one of your uh, of those, or you can visit the um, most of the travel series, travel tips, international travel tips series, and that's one of the books that I list as one of my favorite things that you should own when you travel, uh, especially if you make international travel and one of the things you need to do is sleep on the plane. One day, I had a friend who was in crisis over the state of his life. I mean, he was just miserable. And, you know, I'm certainly no counselor. I'm no expert on much of, you know, anything, certainly not counseling. Uh, This was my friend, and I could see some things that he could immediately change in order to improve his quality of life and his level of happiness. So I started, you know, making suggestions, and um, it's a funny thing. We may not be able to see our own flaws, but we sure can see everybody else's pretty well, can't we? So that was me. I personally think that's a big reason why God made us responsible for each other, because he understood our propensity to see in others what we fail to see in ourselves. And if all of us become each other's advisors, then surely we will all be better off. So armed with um, my very clear vision of what he could do to fix his life, I ran through eight options that my friend could employ to improve his situation, and I kid you not, He shot down every single one. He didn't want to change the obviously flawed approach he had taken to a particular situation that had caused him pain because it was the other person's fault. He hated his job, but he was making no effort to find another one. He didn't want to live where he was living, but he was making no effort to move. He didn't like his friends, but hadn't changed them. He didn't want to seek counseling for his pain because he didn't think it would help. He didn't want to develop a relationship with God who would certainly help if he allowed it, but my friend just thought that was a stupid idea. He didn't want to turn to his family for assistance because he didn't get along with his siblings or his parents. Go figure. I I didn't say this to him, but, you know, in the end my conclusion was that actually what he really wanted to do was wallow in his misery and continue to complain very loudly about all the things that were not going right in his life. But it was very, very clear to me that he had absolutely no intention of taking control and doing anything about it. 
So I scratch my head and wonder why are human beings so inclined to cling to their misery even as they complain about it? I did some research on the topic and happened upon the writing of an Indian mystic guru who garnered apparently a large international following, and he goes by the name of Asho. In this particular article, he was asked the question, why do I feel so much pain in letting go of the things that are causing me misery? Asho answered as follows, the things that are causing you misery must be giving you some pleasure too. Otherwise, the question does not arise. If they were pure misery, you would have dropped them. But in life, nothing is pure. Everything is mixed with its opposite. Everything carries its opposite in its womb. The article, which I posted, a, uh, which I posted on my website, uh, speedway.com, and you can also uh, find a link to this article on the Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash the Speedway Show. But the article goes on to explain that in every misery is some sort of pleasure or hope that something you want will come to you. For example, you might feel jealous of your lover and that might cause you misery. But you think of that jealousy because somewhere in your mind you equate jealousy with love. If I was not jealous about my significant other, perhaps um, my, my fear, my deep-seated fear, is that it means I really don't love him that much. I cannot do the article justice, but I recommend you read it. It is written by this guru who has many other opinions on spirituality, and I have not read, um, I just read this article. I haven't read anything else that he has written. So I'm not advocating you follow him, but just that you read his view about this particular topic and see if it doesn't have some ring of truth for you if you are in this situation of clinging to your misery. Consider this quote by Hugh Laurie. I would cling to unhappiness because it was known, uh, because it was a known familiar state. When I was happier, it was because I knew I was on my way back to misery. I've never been convinced that happiness is the object of the game. I am wary of happiness. <laughs> Imagine that. Now be honest. Is this how you really think about life? Are you so empowered, so defined, so exhilarated by your periods of misery, struggle, and growth that you're actually addicted to those times and get bored when things are going well? Hmm... Let's think about that. I have a story to share that might illustrate the point. Once upon a time, when I was in college in Ohio, I managed to gain more than 20 pounds in two short years. It might not sound like much, but I'm only five foot two, so it was. When I finally came to grips with my weight gain, I launched into a frenzy of activity to lose it because I was going to go home to Zimbabwe. And if I went home with all that weight, my grandmother was going to have a heart attack, uh, and that was after she killed me because um, she had already warned me, there's one of you going and there should be one of you coming back. So um, I really wanted her to live, so I got on the Stairmaster five days a week, 20 minutes a day, going at max speed. That's what I did. Predictably, the weight came off. But the strangest thing happened when I reached my goal. 
I felt like I had lost something. So much of my mental time, focus, and energy had been centered on this goal that when I no longer had it, there was an emptiness. What am I going to struggle with now? What am I going to spend all this energy on? I suspect that this is the reason some people gain the weight that they lost. It gives us something to talk about with our friends, something to complain about, something to be unhappy about, something to channel our energies into and try to solve. Most of all, we get to feel sorry for ourselves and we get to cry about it. (laughs) Consider this analysis by the Guru Suresh. Another guru who's, you know, other writings I haven't read. So I'm not advocating, this is not, you know, um, get onto the guru bandwagon week. It just happens that they have some pretty interesting things to say about this topic. Guru Suresh says, Misery makes you capable of attracting people's attention. Whenever you are miserable, you are attended to, sympathized with, loved, Everybody starts taking care of you. Who wants to hurt a miserable person? Who is jealous of a miserable person? Who wants to be antagonistic to a miserable person? That would be too mean. The miserable person is cared for, loved, attended to. There is great investment in misery. If the wife is not miserable, the husband simply tends to forget her. If she is miserable, the husband cannot afford to neglect her. (laughs) If the husband is miserable, the whole family, the wife, the children are around him, worried about him. It gives great comfort. One feels one is not alone. One has family and friends. When you are ill, depressed, in misery, friends come to visit you, solace you, to console you. When you are happy, the same friends become jealous of you. When you are really happy, you will find that the whole world has turned against you. Some of my happy friends, those of you who are happy, chirpy people, and I know you're out there because... I am one of you. Um, all of you at one point or another have probably found that to be true. You, you, you just show up on a Monday morning at work at 6 o'clock in the morning and be chirpy and happy, and you will see how quickly everybody turns against you. Again, it's, very, you know, it's a very interesting article. I urge you to uh, visit my website and read it. You can also join my Facebook page and get links to those articles the week before the show airs. But again, I ask you, if you are clinging to your misery, if you find that you suffer from periods of boredom when you are not miserable, do these reasons ring true for you? Isn't it true that when we are miserable, we attract positive attention from others? Oh, you poor thing. I'm so sorry you're not feeling well. Or I'm so sorry things are not going well at home. Is there anything I can do to help you? And then when faced with that, just like when you when when you hurt yourself and you're doing fine, and then all of a sudden your mother shows you sympathy, what's the first thing you do? 
<laughs> That's exactly right. But how many times has your happiness or enthusiasm about launching off in a new and positive direction caused animosity, jealousy, and other negative reactions from family, friends, and people you thought were supposed to be on your side? If you have ever attended any form of self-help conference or one of those success-building ventures like real estate investment seminars, self-improvement things, or some sort of, you know, buy the solution and you will be rich seminar, one of the very first things that they will caution you is do not share your newfound excitement with your family and friends because all they will do is tear you down and make sure that they hammer out of you any level of enthusiasm or excitement or confidence that you can achieve what you are setting out to do. But if you are down and out and miserable, boy, here they will come with open arms and smiling faces. Now let me hasten to say that my family, personally, is not like that. And when I look at my Facebook family, both my my friends and my Facebook uh, fans, they, uh, I see that we rally around each other when someone is hurt, but we also celebrate each other's joy and success. So it's not always true that people will hate you when you're happy, but sometimes that does happen. And the question is not a question for them that react to you in different ways. The question is for you. Are you hugging your misery because you are getting some sort of payback for doing it? I know there are plenty of situations when others do best when someone is miserable and don't do so well when things are going well. I personally have had some friends in the past who have responded negatively to my joy. My personal solution? Get rid of people like that in your life. They are not your friends. In my book, a friend is someone who is good to you and good for you. And if you find that you have friends who fall short in one or the other category, they are not your friends. Uh, For example, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a negative thing. So let's say, for example, you have a teacher or a professor who is really hard on you in school. They are not good for you. Uh, No, they are not good to you, but they're certainly good for you, right? Not your friend, but they are your professor. You may have someone who is very good to you, but who is not good for you. Let's say you have that friend who's always getting into trouble, and they're always trying to get you to go off and commit crimes with them or get into scrapes and get into trouble with them or play hooky when you're supposed to be at school or at work with them. Uh, They might be the nicest person on the face of the earth to you, but they're certainly not good for you. That person is not your friend. If someone seems happiest when you are most miserable, then you need to go find others who can lift you up and not consistently try to tear you down and and compound your propensity towards clinging to your misery. Oftentimes when people come to my home, If I entertain and I I invite people over, one of the the things that I have been rather good at over the course of my life is introducing people to one another. And somebody always says to me, oh, you have the nicest friends. Wow. And, you know, part of it is 
a big part of that is entirely intentional. I, I intentionally surround myself with people who are good for me and who are good to me and people who are positive and who have positive energy so that together we can compound and we can expand on our positive energy. If somebody is a drain, then I have a tendency not to want to be around them. And, um, you know, I, I would suggest that you intentionally surround yourself with positive energy people who can be good to you and good for you. Now, this idea of gaining payback from misery seems to be rather prevalent in psychological circles as well. If you have ever listened to Dr. Phil uh, talk about this, you will have heard him say to more than one of his guests on more than one occasion that actually your misery is providing you a payback, and then he pushes the, the guest to identify what that payback is. Maybe you like feeling like a martyr. Maybe it makes you feel important. Maybe it gets you attention you otherwise would not have. Maybe it makes you feel bigger or better than someone else because you are bearing this amazing suffering. Maybe it gives you a consistent topic of conversation with your friends or family. If your issue is eating, that's an easy one. It certainly feels good to eat the stuff that you want to eat. And at the time you're doing it, you probably are just happy, happy, happy as a clam, and then you get miserable afterwards. After all, if you stop griping about how much you hate your boss or you hate your job, what else? Is there to talk about? And who's going to sympathize with you then? And heaven forbid that you mess around and actually fix the problem, because at that point, what will there be to complain and cry about? (laughs) So all that to say, whatever the payback is, the bottom line is, in order for you to cling to your miserable situation consistently, it may be because you're getting something of value out of being in that place. Be honest with yourself and find it. Once you find that payback, make a decision. Are you going to let go of your misery and accept that your life will change, or would you prefer to wallow in it and stay where you are? If you choose to change it, then stop complaining about it and do something. If you choose to stay where you are, then accept that as your conscious decision to continue, then you need to still stop complaining. Either way, the choice is yours, and either way, you really have nothing to complain about. Happiness is actually not a mystery. Hang around happy people and study habits Um, that they have, and you will soon identify the key components. As a happy person myself, I have little patience for the self-induced misery and suffering. And not that my life is charmed and wonderful and everything else. I've had my share of uh, difficulties, disappointments, and challenges. But, you know, um, I, I actually do get to, I literally get to a point where I get tired of being unhappy, And I just decide, you know what, I have mourned that topic enough. I am moving on. And I just sort of shake it off eventually and I I just get going. Granted, we all have times when we are down in the dumps and when life deals us a hand that puts us under. But generally, happiness is a choice. And uh, as I said, one of the things I do to support my happiness is to surround myself very intentionally with like-minded people. And I I, I really encourage you to do the same. 
both happiness and misery are choices entirely separate from what's going on out in the world. When you wake up in the morning, you can choose what kind of day you are going to have. Sometimes when I ask people, how you doing? They will say, oh, well, I'm going to wait and see what the day brings, and, and then they'll decide. Or they'll say, well, you know, ask me later on today, ask me at noon, ask me at 3. And I'm thinking, well, you know, as my favorite uh, motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, said, well, if you're going to be happy at 3, why don't you just be happy now? Why are you going to wait until 3? There is no need to depend on external circumstances to decide that you're going to have a good day. If you don't believe that happiness and misery are choices, think back into your life to a time when you should have been absolutely miserable, and yet you were happy as a clam. Maybe things were going very badly at work, but you had just had a new baby, or you just got married, things were going very well at home, and therefore you were much less affected by the things that were going on at work, and vice versa. I once had a very, very happy boss who was cheerful, and he laughed all the time, every day. At one point, the firm that I... Uh, that I was in, and he was a partner at this firm. The firm was in dire financial straits, headed for bankruptcy in the middle of a vicious fight among the partners, and yet every day he still came into work, and I could still hear him chatting and laughing gaily in the hallways. And I would think, how can he possibly laugh at a time like this? But he did, and it was instructional to me because He was the walking example of the idea that happiness and joy are actually a choice that you make within yourself. It's not defined by what's going on around you. Likewise, think about a time when you should have been absolutely joyful and because of your personal perspective, you were absolutely miserable. Maybe you were out at a wedding and it might have even been your own wedding on a day when there should have been nothing but joy in your heart. But because of something else that was going on, maybe a sick family member, concerns about your career, worries about money or your future, you might have been absolutely miserable. All that to say that misery and joy are internal states of mind and have very little to do with external circumstance. So the next time someone asks you how your day is going, give a positive response no matter what because you get to make that choice not the external circumstances around you. Now, you may be wondering how to get to happiness if it's not external. I found an article by Deepak Chopra called Why Choice is the Way to Happiness. You can also find that article on the posting for this show on Speedway.com or on the Facebook page. Speedway, what is it? Facebook.com slash the Speedway Show. Um, I am not familiar with all of Deepak Chopra's philosophies on spirituality, but I did find this particular article to be quite helpful, and I agree with virtually all of his suggestions, and they are as follows. He asked the question, what kind of choices and values lead to real happiness? I'm not going to do the article justice, but I will give you a taste and highly recommend that you take a look at it and think about it. He talks about meditation, which opens up deeper levels of the mind. I have done several shows advocating meditation over the past few years. One was called Stressed, Three Things Will Help. Another was You Too Can Talk to God. Another was God Every Day. 
You will find the links to these different shows when you go to the posting for this particular show so you don't have to um, chase around and hunt around for them. But if, if meditation is something you're interested in, take a listen. Um, another thing that he suggests is actions that benefit others. Another suggestion, social relationships that support intimacy and bonding. This gets back to this idea of be careful who your friends are. Another one of his suggestions, inspiration through reading the world's scriptures and poetry. I advocate reading your life manual. For me, it is my Bible. I have friends who read other religious texts, but whatever it is that you're reading, get inspiration from reading those religious texts. Poetry is also a good one. Another suggestion he makes, take enjoyment in natural beauty. One of the biggest benefits of doing things like cycling, walking, running, is being out in nature, in parks, and reconnecting with nature. Something else he suggests is having a vision of personal fulfillment that you follow every day. Okay, so I'm tired of saying something else, something else. Let's see if I can find a, um, I'm going to see if I can find a something nice instead that I can use to sample and, and, and signify a new idea. Let's try this one. Oh, okay, that's nice. Having a vision of personal fulfillment that you follow. Aiming for inner fulfillment rather than external fulfillment. Use the wellspring within you rather than looking for happiness in external and material things. Someone asked Jesus once when the kingdom of God would come, and he answered that it isn't something people will be able to see and point to. Then he said, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. I highly recommend going within and finding that long-sustaining, ever-new joy. Reducing stress. Taking time for peaceful reflection. Learning to love your own company and cultivating the self as a state of being. Eschewing violence and danger in all its forms, gross and subtle. Resolving conflicts, both inner and outer, rather than letting them build up. Paying one's debts to the past, and this means healing old hurts and grievances. I did another show entitled, entitled Letting Go of the Past, and that is often a huge hindrance to our ability to move forward because we spend our lives looking in the rearview mirror and regretting all sorts of things that we can't change. Stepping away from group think and second-hand opinions. How many times have you received some inflammatory email from a friend that got you all upset only to find out that it was a hoax? They're all over the place. How many times have you heard someone, uh, some story on the news that skewed the facts in a certain way, but when you dug into it, you developed a completely different opinion of your own. Giving up a belief in enemies and an us-versus-them way of thinking. In the wake of the Trayvon Martin verdict, Americans have a particularly significant opportunity, I think, 
to embrace the notion of togetherness rather than taking an us-versus-them position carved around racial lines. <laughs> Cultivating kindness and compassion. I read a book once called The Four Agreements, and one of the things it says is do not take things personally. And I think cultivating kindness and compassion is really all about not taking things personally and not being hostile because you think somebody did something wrong to you, whether you know they, they actually did or not. Being generous of spirit and learning to give. It is better to give than to receive, said a wise man once upon a time. And I think that's true. Oftentimes when you're miserable, the best way to get out of your funk is to go and help somebody else because when you start dealing with other people's funk, among other things, you know, it, it takes your focus away from you and it also stops you from feeling sorry for yourself. And uh, sometimes I find that when I deal with somebody else's funk, I'm actually quite happy that my funk is what it is because uh, it's not nearly as bad as somebody else's funk. So being generous of spirit and giving is another way that you can find inner happiness. <laughs> Seeing yourself as part of a larger humanity and humanity itself as an expression of the divine despite our flaws. So I am a human being created in God's image, perfect in every way. Now, those of you who know me know that Asher ain't perfect in every way. But... Um, I was perfectly crafted, and I would argue that each one of us is the perfect combination of gifts, talents, and flaws to be of maximum benefit to the other people around us. And that is all I have for you today on this topic. A parting thought. I'm going to give you a quote that I will leave you with from a man named Bathias. And he said, Nothing is miserable unless you think it so. And on the other hand, nothing brings happiness unless you are content with it. So at this point, I hope that you are less likely to be walking around sounding like this. <laughs> so there you have it. Until next week, this is Spiway saying thank you for joining me today on the Spiway Show. Next time, bring a friend. And by all means, um, visit thespiwayshow.com and uh, uh, visit the uh, Facebook fan page and uh, bring along a friend. I acknowledge every single one of my new Facebook fans who joined the Facebook fan page. So if you want your name and lights, come on over and join the party. Go in peace and let go of your misery. Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.